This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Today, I want to talk about original research in your content marketing strategy. And of course, I invited the expert out in the field, Michelle Lin. Uh, Michelle, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And of course, Michelle, I've known you for a while through the Content Marketing Institute. And then recently you started, or I don't know, recently is relative, I guess, but um, in the uh, past year, you started your own company. It's actually been two years now, but yes, you're absolutely right. So not recent in a digital marketer's mind, because last week is recent. Exactly. Um, (laughs) What's the company? What do you do? Yeah, so the company is called Mantis Research, and we specifically help marketers publish and amplify their own original research. Very interesting. And what's original research? What's the definition? What do you mean when you say that? Yeah, so when we talk about original research, we're talking about any new um, data and insights that you're bringing into the market. So you can certainly, you know, curate research that's out there, but we're actually looking for net new insights. So many these net new insights come via surveys, either to their own list or to panels. Um, but marketers can also, you know, dig in into existing data and look at it in a different way to provide net new insights too. But in short, it's anything that's that's new that you're bringing to the market that combines data and story. And so when, when you're trying to run a survey, do you usually draw on the marketer's current audience or how do you find the people, the right people to participate? So I'm actually going to back up just a bit because the first mm-hmm. thing I actually start with is uh, around, is around impact. So what impact do you want to have in your business and in your marketing? And what impact do you want to have in the lives of, of your audience? So for instance, if you like some clients we work with, they say, you know what, we really want um, people, our audience to understand what their peers are are doing. So in those cases, the audience can come from you know this all those peers. Um, some companies have their own list that they can use, or you can also get get panels. But sometimes you want to learn from an audience that isn't yours. So for instance, um, way back in the day when I was at Content Marketing Institute, we did this study with with um, SmartBrief, and we wanted to understand how B two B buyers were consuming and using content marketing. So our, our list at, at CMI was content marketers. So we partnered with SmartBrief, who had a list of B2B buyers, and we surveyed them. So it really depends on the, audiences, the audience that you want to learn from, um, and the, it, that can impact how you're going to get those responses. And how hard, so I'm thinking of just myself here, yeah. right? I get emails all the time. Can you do this? Can you do that? I mean, the other day I called the credit. And I've gotten like four emails to take a survey, which I know is not exactly the same thing, but it's another email that I have to look at. Absolutely. Uh, how do you get, how do you get people to participate? Like what's the, like, how, how do you, how, how do you even get them involved? Yes. I mean, there's, there's 
three basic ways to get survey participants. The first way is to use your own list. If you have, again, if, if your list includes those people who you want to go after, who you want to learn from, this can work really, really well. Um, it depends on how in engaged your list is, but if you have a list that you are actively engaging with and they understand that you're going to use this information to bring value back to them, that really helps get those survey participants. Um, quite frankly, a lot of companies offer um, an incentive, like a chance to win, win an Amazon gift card, or we just had a client who offered this chance to win these really nice headphones. So if you offer this incentive, that can really spur people to answer your um, survey. You do need to put in some extra quality checks, but um, just to make sure you don't have duplicate responses. But that you really need to think about who your audience is and what they care about if you want to use your own list. Um, the second way to do it is to purchase panels. There's a lot of companies out there that will give you access to people who want to take surveys, and they will take your take surveys for you. Again, happy to talk about this, but there's a lot of different mm -hmm. things that you have to be cognizant about because you want to make sure that the data is, is as credible and quality as possible. And then the third thing you can do is you can partner with another organization who shares the list of the audience who you want to actually survey. So if you don't have a big enough list, you can find someone else. Um, so for instance, we do a state of original research and we did this, this was one of the first projects we ever did as a company and we had zero list. So we partnered with Basumo who has a big list of the people who we wanted to survey. Um, so they handled the survey distribution and then we handled the actual, actual survey production. So there's a lot of different ways you can go about getting those responses. And you know, I, I have to say when I get um, requests from people I know, or I at least know their content, even if I don't know them personally, I'm much more likely to participate. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I don't know if you were involved, but Andy Crestodina, right? He does a survey every year on the state of blogging or something, mm -hmm. something like that. And I quote that survey, I think all the time. Again, I just quoted him. Right. And, um, so when he sends his thing over, I'm like, oh, of course I want to participate because I use this all the time. Um, and it's also interesting to see because it's actually, it seems to be really accurate. So when they say um, the people who are writing long articles, here's how long it takes. I'm thinking that is exactly how long it takes me. Yes. It's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> it is. So, um, so that matters. And then, so once you have the content, though, right, so you have the results. Oh, let me actually back up for a second. So once you, you were talking about creating the survey. And so there is a, it's an art and science, right, to write mm -hmm. questions that actually get you the correct answers. So if you ask me, I'll give you an example. I, I, had, um, I had a conversation the other day, and they said to me, can you give me more detail?" And I, I was just done talking for 10 minutes, right? It was kind of, it was really what I would call a weak question. And, and I, I literally said, I, I really can't. I literally gave you everything that I think is necessary to share from what happened in that case. And then same scenario, another person asked, okay, that's very interesting. And then how did you decide to make that decision? And when you look at it, they're really very similar questions, but they're really very different. Mm-hmm. So how do you write good questions? How do you get people to answer and understand what you actually want from them? So, I mean, there's a, a few things. Again, you have to back up to your impact. Like, how are you trying to change people's thinking? Are you trying to provide data that validates what people believe so they have that source to point to? Um, Andy's blogger survey is really, really good at, at doing this. 
Um, are you trying to use your survey to bust a, a myth? Are you so basically are you trying to to use data to disprove something that people believe is to be to be true? Um, are you trying to compare different cohorts, like either, you know, what different generations are doing or, you know, people who are successful, what they're doing differently? Um, or are you trying to really uncover gaps and opportunities? So you have to think about what is the story that you're trying to tell and how do you want to tell it that always, always, always comes first. And then you shape the questions from, from there. So once you have that general, like, here's a story I want to tell, you really need to make sure that the, the way that you ask your questions um, is also really specific. Like you say, it's very much an art and a, and a science. So for instance, you want to use really basic language that everyone can understand. Um, you know, you have to think about it just because this is the way that you or your team communicates doesn't mean that that's how everyone communicates. So just simple, simple, simple. Um, and then another big key is that you only ask one question at a, at a time. So for instance, I use this example. This was a benchmarking sur survey that I had seen come out and they basically asked, how long does it take for you to produce um, one page of content? Well, we were like, what is a page of content? Is that a web page? Is that a blog post? Is that something else? You know, what, what, what does produce even mean? Does that mean write? Does that mean edit? Does that mean load? Does that mean share? You know, so just ask one thing at a time and don't, don't conflate too many um, things together at, at once. So those it, are just it, a couple of ideas. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like we literally have to ask for the definition of what produce means, but it's, it's true, right? Because if, if like one page, what is that? I mean, and how many words go on a paper page? Did, do you know? I didn't even know. It's like 400 words. I had to look it up the other day. Oh, I would have no idea. And who knows if they mean like page page, like, a, you know, eight yeah. by 11 and a half or an A4 page or a web page. Oh my, or a... <laughs> my goodness. Nothing, nothing is easy anymore. Um, but, but those are the challenges you face. So, so then when you do a survey for a brand, so one of my, I have very few pet peeves, honestly, Michelle, but there's one I have, and it's the people who go on podcasts, you know, and, and they say, well, the only, here's the problem, and maybe that is a problem, but then the only way to solve that problem is to buy whatever they're offering, <laughs> yep. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I see a lot of those, and I also see some studies, I, I don't remember who it was, I I'm just going to say it was a video platform. I don't remember if that's what it actually was, but it was something about the, the survey they did found that video is taken off and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, they may have well just run an ad in my opinion. So how do you work with companies when, when, uh, or, or I mean, have you run into that where, where even whether they know it or not, they're, they're really just doing a self-serving commercial ad survey. Yes. And it, drives me crazy. It is an absolute pet peeve of mine. Um, way back in the day, we had one client and they had all this data and they didn't know how to cut it. Um, and we worked with them a little bit and we realized they were trying to have the data tell a very specific story and their solution was the punchline. Um, so we just said, no, we just can't work with you. So it's, it's, um, that was a, a lesson for us. We had to start earlier in the process to always make sure that we're looking at something correctly, but, um, complete pet peeve. And what I always tell clients is, is, it's not credible to have your, your solution like be the punchline of, of the research, but really think about how, what are those issues or what are those questions that your audience is grappling with that you can actually help the survey answer? So 
a much better way to go about this is to really a- approach your audience in a really curious way and say, what does my audience care to know about? So you mentioned like that I used to work for CMI and one of the studies that we did year over year is our content marketing budgets, benchmarks and, and trends. And the point of the study wasn't to say, hey, content marketing is the thing to use, but instead the study's purpose is to understand what are those who are using content marketing doing and what's working well so that, so that those who are using content marketing can then be, be more effective at it. So just take a, take a, a spin that's broader than just pointing to your actual, your actual solution. And sometimes that can be very hard for marketers to, to remember to do that. Um, how, so once you have all this content, um, how, do you, how do you go about, I mean, we're, go, we're, we're talking about, then you publish it, right? It's not just for the VP of marketing's uh, insights, or is it? So by and large, no. Like, for instance, we only work with clients who are going to publish out research. Um, we have had times where we do have some questions that are just for product roadmapping purposes or internal discovery purposes. Um, you're right. By and large, you know, this is, this is information that's best pushed out. And then how do you go about that? How do you decide what, what are the best ways to get the content out there? And, and how, do you, how do you go about that? I mean, as you can imagine, it's a, it's a pretty nuanced thing. But again, we always go back to the impact. Um, so what impact do you want this research to have to your, for your business? Are you trying to use it to build brand awareness? Um, that might be one approach where you want to get this research out, out far and, and wide. Um, or is your goal to um, build, build quality leads? So then, then, then you want to gate it and do different things to get people to, you know, build that, that lead pipeline. Um, so you have to kind of, or use your goal, email subscribers. Well, if you're doing that, then you might want to use that research as a way to get that email subscriber and then have all of this follow-up content that really talks about the research in, in depth. So we really try to talk to clients about figure out what impact it is you want to have. Um, and then... What we've actually found in our own research is that those who do more with their own research have more success, which is, which is an obvious thing. It's not a surprising data point. Um, but we found that those marketers who do at least six different things with their research are more likely to exceed their expectations. So we always recommend that clients do at the very, very minimum at least six things and prioritize what those activities are based on what impact you want to have. So if you want to do, if your goal is lead gen, for instance, you might want to do things like webinars or online assessments or things that actually generate leads. But if your goal is, is brand awareness, you might want to focus on, you know, guest posting or going on podcasts such as, as this one to really get the message out, out wider. I mean, it's really the, the traditional, I don't know if we can call it that, but the traditional uh, create once publish everywhere model, right? Once you put any kind of budget towards anything, Use the content. I mean, throw it a parade. Don't just use it in one place. Absolutely. And, and you're going to find that you have this, like, wealth of data and, and stories that you can tell. So we really do find it is, is, is helpful to prioritize what you want to do based on what your goals are, which sounds so obvious. But until you actually sit down to do it, sometimes you just want to start, you know, willy-nilly doing a bunch of different things. Prioritization certainly is hard. And, you know, um, Michelle and I recorded this. Um, during the height of the coronavirus. And literally, um, when we came on the air, I thanked Michelle for giving me a break from covering coronavirus content. 
Uh, but other than this podcast, that's all I'm prioritizing. And it's kind of hard, right? Because some people are saying, well, can we do this today? I'm like, nope, we're doing this. Everybody <laughs> is focusing on one thing. Um, when you have the content, do you... Uh, so one thing that, that I'm a big fan of is to, to use other people um, as mm -hmm. experts, right? So yes, I can give you my opinion. I got plenty of them to go around. Um, but when I write articles, I always try to include other people as well, especially if they have something um, to share worth um, sharing. Of course, that's um, relative to and debatable. But um, do you involve people who, who participate in the survey, like with quotes or, you know, or how does that look? So, I mean, you can do a lot of different things. I, I have not personally done this, but I know others who have. Um, they've actually had an option in the survey that says, you know, if you would be willing to be contacted by us afterwards to have a, a conversation, we'd love to talk with you. So you can certainly do that. Um, I've had, you know, a project I'm working right now, and that's, and that's one of, of the pieces. So they're going to actively reach out to the survey participants to have broader conversations to help both their marketing and the sales team. And you can certainly use those types of quotes and insights in your actual research coverage. Um, but if you even if you just have an anonymous set of data and you don't have anyone to reach out to specifically, what I personally do is I just reach out to people um, whenever we do research to say, hey, you know, our data found X, Y, Z. You know, do you think this is true or why do you think this is or how, how would you recommend overcoming this gap that, that, that we discovered and so forth? So you can just reach out to people who have knowledge in, in the space um, and then just ask them for their insights on, on your data. I know Andy Crestadina does that really well in his blogger study that, that, that you mentioned. It's a great, great model for anyone to actually study and to use because it includes the data as well as all of those influencer quotes. Yeah, and when, when you quote people, more often than not, they end up sharing it, right? And typically, um, what I found is if they don't share it, there's some problem. Now, of course, sometimes it's interesting to find a way to circle back with them and say, hey, how come you're not sharing my great content? And they can say, well, because it's crap. Um, but, you know, typically uh, people share it. And when they don't share their own content, there's usually some problem um, that might be something worth learning from. Um, how about brands? I mean, can any brand do research? Are there any, you know, sometimes when I'm speaking about, hey, don't be so stiff, there's always people say, oh, this brand has to be stiff. And, you know, and then even like somebody one time said funeral homes, they have to be stiff. And then somebody else will say, well, I just Googled funeral homes and there's all kinds of brands out there that are not stiff. So um, are there any brands that are better suited for research or some that shouldn't consider it as quickly? Or how do you how do you feel about that? I mean, I think that research provides an opportunity for all brands. I mean, there are certain brands that are more regulated than others, like farmer and healthcare. Um, for them to do research. And it's also like you think of healthcare research, you think of very methodical, you know, rigorous data that people put out. Um, so you got to think about how you want to approach that in a, in a way that makes sense for your audience. Um, but by and large, I think, you know, most brands can certainly take advantage of, of research. No, in, in general, no exceptions. Um, how about what's like the timeline? So one of the things, of course, as you know, um, I grew up in journalism, right? So we mm -hmm. report a story, we, we cover it, and then here it is. It's live, right? It's, um, I'm, I'm looking at my watch as opposed to my calendar. Um, and certainly 
there is some value in some of those stories, right? To get them from, from production to publishing. Um, but, but what's like the timeline? Does it, I mean, when you say research, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if we start, uh, you know, in April, are we done in September or how long does it take? So it's going to depend on the type of research project that you're doing. If you're trying to do a bigger study, you know, like what CMI does or even what Andy does, um, it can take a fair amount of time to do it. And it, and I'm actually okay with that be, just because a, it takes a lot of time to do, and you need to have all of those things in, in place to really get that research out there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when you do year-over-year -year studies, you see that the data typically does not change all that, all that dramatically every single year. Um, so I think it's fine for those projects to take time. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing a, but you could also do things like polls and smaller projects that are a lot more timely and newsworthy, um, that, and that would uh, um, really you know, that journalists and others would really like. Um, and those you can do at a much, at a much faster And of course, point. it's not about the journalists and the content creators anyways, right? What we like, it just makes, makes us feel good when it gets out there. It's about the audience, right? What's the value we can bring to them? Um, how do you prioritize um, the, the content creation once it's all done? What tips do you have? I mean, are there I know you talked about the goals, you know, what are you trying to accomplish, but are there certain channels that are better than others? I hate to say it depends, but honestly, it depends. I think it depends on where that particular brand already is strong, what they're already doing, where they already are. I mean, I would take your research and apply it to the channels that you're already in and you're already doing a lot of things in well and, and get it out there. <laughs> It's one of those things you can look at anyone's project and see all of these other things that people are doing, which is great. But is it really going to be the best for, for your brand? I mean, it's just it's going to depend. I mean, it is. It depends. Is really the answer to most things today. Right. It, mean... it is. <laughs> and I hate to use that answer, but there isn't any like. I mean, I think that there are certain things that, that you can always do. Like you can always get those, those, those influencer quotes and you can always make your research as shareable as possible. And you can always, you know, create great charts that people can share and do those types of, of things. But above and beyond that, how you actually get it out there, like you said, it's going to yeah, You know, if you don't have an email list, email might not be your go-to. But if you have 100,000 people in your email, maybe that's the way to, to go. Um, do you, uh, how hard is it to get responses though? I mean, is that, can that be a struggle even if you have an audience that's engaged? I mean, I'm just thinking even of uh, Andy's uh, survey, you know, sometimes it's like the third time I see it that I finally take it, um, you know. Absolutely. So again, I hate to say it depends, but it depends. Like we just work with a, with a client and they have a, they are in the events space. This was actually a couple of months ago and they put out, they were the people who used the headphones as their incentive for completing this um, survey. I mean, they sent it out maybe two times and they had 6,000 responses, which was amazing. Um, we have other people whose list is not engaged or the survey topic is not that interesting to them. And it takes a lot of time to get responses. Um, but if, if you are struggling you can always use panels or you can always use, use partnerships. Yep. And partner with people who might have interests right in the same topic. And who share the list of people who you want to go after. Yep. Very interesting. Um, so one way, of course, that you can share your, your, your survey results, you know, is on your website, whether it's a blog post or an article, um, you know, or, or however that might look. Um, 
I would imagine it can help you with SEO, perhaps ranking for certain terms you're not ranking for right now because it's so in-depth. Absolutely. <clears throat> and even more importantly, in my opinion, is, is those um, critical backlinks mm -hmm. from high domain sites. So I think you, there's so many examples. And I know we're on a podcast. We don't have our screens in front of us, but there are so many different examples from companies who do research who have an insane amount of, of backlinks. Um, Andy even mentioned for his blogger study, I think he gets at least one mention every single day. So it, it works really, really well. And <clears throat> so it was Aaron Orendorf. Uh, you can check him out. It's uh, common spelling. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, Aaron. Yeah. I know Aaron. Um, uh -huh. um, A-A-R-O-N-O-R-E-N-D-O-R-F-F -F on Twitter. He wrote an article, um, and I'm trying to remember, at Portland. Yep. So he's a marketing VP. Mm -hmm. and, and the article said, um, research shows this is the sexiest man in Portland, Oregon. Uh -huh. And it was him, <laughs> right? Um, so, and yep. so he wrote that, not to be misleading, he wrote that to make the point that Google cares about um, data-driven content, right? And of course, it wasn't data-driven at all. It was just him saying that. Um, so that's, that's a whole other problem. But if you do it well, and if you actually have content that is um, data-driven and, and research-driven, I mean, it can really help you set yourself apart. And for what it's worth, I mean, we're a really small organization. It's myself and another person, Claire McDermott. And we're like any small business, and we don't spend enough time in our, our own marketing. You know, the whole cobbler shoes don't have – cobbler's kids don't have shoes. And so we do an annual – like I said, we do an annual project with Buzzsumo. It's amazing to me. I always want to do more with it, but the little that we even do with it, which I'm embarrassed to say, it's amazing how many people say to me, oh, I, I found you guys because of, of this research mm -hmm. that, that you did. And I read about it, it, it someplace else. So – even for those companies who are small or just getting started, research can be that thing that helps people find you. It just works really, really well, as long as you're publishing on something that others are actually doing. And being found is more and more important. And I'll give you a really quick example. I mean, I have a lot of clients who say to me, oh, we don't need to do any digital marketing because uh, we, you know, it's going just fine. And then guess what happened, right? I mean, the, the coronavirus mm -hmm. is a perfect example. I mean, I literally have people coming to me right now and saying, oh, my goodness, well, this is not going fine anymore. What can we do in the meantime? Um, and, of course, this uh, coronavirus is except, uh, impacting everybody. So it's a super extreme example. But my point is that even though it might be going well today, how about tomorrow? How about next week? How about next month? So being out there and building that um, brand and expertise out there certainly can help you. Without question. And that stuff, as you well know, lives for years and years and, and years. Yep, absolutely. Michelle, where can people find you? Where, what's the website, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to share? Yeah, so you can find us at mantisresearch.com, M-A-N-T-I-S research.com. Um, we have a guide on there that talks about how to do survey-based research for anyone who is interested. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn at Michelle with one L, Lynn, L-I-N-N. Or at Twitter, um, I'm just it's just Michelle Lynn, no spaces. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the insights. And thanks, everyone, for listening. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you.
Until next time, let the best stories win.